Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Gradient Podcast. We interview various people who research, build, or use AI, including academics, engineers, artists, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm your host, Andrei Krenkov. In this episode, I'm excited to be interviewing Yannick Kilcher. Yannick Kilcher is an AI researcher who recently earned his PhD at ETH Zurich's Data Analytics Lab, where he was researching deep learning, structured learning, and optimization for large and high-dimensional data. He famously produces videos on his very popular YouTube channel, which covers machine learning research papers, programming, and issues of the AI community, and the broader impact of AI in society. So thanks uh, so much for joining us for this episode, Yannick. Thanks for having me. Uh, I can tell I can tell you got the uh, the description of my work from the website <laughs> that wasn't updated yeah. in years. So my PhD ended up being in uh, sort of the domain of adversarial uh, adversarial learning, adversarial examples, things like this. Uh, but yeah, any I, I'm, I was pretty scattered, so I guess it fits. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh... You know, I always just scour the internet and, and use whatever I find. But congratulations on finishing recently. I guess with any thesis, you know, you wind up somewhere eventually, and that's what you do. And speaking of your research, uh, one thing I always find uh, interesting to ask, uh, you know, researchers and people who have done a PhD is what led you to doing that? Uh, so to start with, how did you get involved uh, in AI originally and what uh, made you interested in that? I'm not sure. I kind of stumbled into it, honestly. So I, I, uh, did my bachelor's originally in human medicine, um, switched over to computer science after one year out of kind of lack of, I didn't want to be a doctor. Uh, then I just continued that. So at the bachelor's, I was not aware that there were like th there was a thing called a PhD. Like I heard of it, like I heard that people can get their like doctor's title, but I had no idea what that encompassed, that that's actually a, a thing that one could do. Um, that research existed. I just thought, you know, it's kind of like school. You, you learn the stuff that, you know, people somewhere invent. Um, so then for masters, I switched over to ETH, uh, and then after that, I didn't really have anything to do. So I kind of played video games for a while and then I ran out of money and then <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. So I was like, hmm, <laughs> I could do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting route to take. Um, but in terms but of, you... yeah, sorry, in, ter in, ter in terms of machine learning, I, th I think that interested me as soon as I kind of discovered it in, so in bachelor's, I had a class about pattern recognition and I thought that was really fun. And then in the masters, I just ended up taking a lot of the computer vision classes, also learning theory and so on. And so it just kind of happened that way. Um, and yes, yeah, so that, that was what, what I was interested in. And then for my master thesis, I got sort of lured in with the promise of deep learning, which was incredibly new at the time. Like I didn't know what it was. I just thought it sounded cool. This was like, what, 2012, 20... No, my master thesis was... So it was, it was in uh, 20, it started 2014, wasn't, so I, 
I finished 2015 and ETH wasn't exactly like the center of, of deep learning. So it, it took a while to kind of swap over, right? Especially into the master's curriculum. So I, I, I took a class on graphical models, got lured into a master thesis that might have to do with deep learning. I thought, wow, that's cool. So it ended up being convex optimization, uh, but it was still pretty cool. So, and that was in the, in the lab that then I joined as a PhD student. Mm, I see. Yeah. Deep learning, famously non-convex optimization. So a little bit different. Uh, and, and yeah, after your master's, I guess um, you had the option, presumably, to also go look for work in industry. I'm pretty sure a master's degree is a pretty good qualification. So kind of what made you choose a PhD in particular as opposed to just any sort of work? Um, I'm not sure. It just kind of happened. I, I told you, I just kind of stumbled into this. I, I, it's not like I'm not the kind of person that has a grand plan. Uh, I know these, you know, these people, they're in bachelors and they're like, OK, I can do this and then this and then I can be that. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I was, I was just, just very felt right. Yeah. You just went to your gut. I applied for I applied for Google actually a couple of times during my bachelors and never got even a response. So I thought, OK, maybe they don't want me. Um, <laughs> yeah. so that, yeah, I just ended up, I, if, if the PhD hadn't worked out, I probably would have gone into industry. I see. Yeah. It's interesting. I think personally, I, I very much, uh, I don't know, was, I was very worried about the decision, just knowing, you know, it's, it's a long process, but I f- yeah, everyone en- ends up in a different, uh, getting to it in a different way, it seems. And then, uh, so during your PhD, I, I was looking at this and you uploaded your first video to YouTube almost exactly four years ago on <laughs> August 4th of 2017. What was that? It, it was, was like a, a reinforcement learning review, right? I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually uploaded my first YouTube video in, wait, let me, let me check that out. I uploaded it way earlier, but I don't, uh, I, it's on a different channel, which I'm not going to, going to reveal, um, <laughs> which, <laughs> uh, that was in 2013. Um, yeah, but yeah, for this channel, I, I uploaded. Yeah. So the story was that I had to read these papers because I was, yeah, I was starting a new collaboration and I had no clue about these things. And I thought, you know, if, if I couldn't find any resources about this, you know, maybe someone else who has to read the same papers, uh, he's also lost. So I would just try to make a video and maybe it would help someone, right? I just thought, you know, maybe, maybe it'll help, you know, a person, uh, to understand or to not have to read the paper. And then also you know, the, the Feynman approach of if I have to explain something, I'm kind of forced to uh, understand it uh, better or to not slack when reading it. So I think those are the main motivations behind that. I see. Yeah, that's interesting. Were you inspired by any other YouTubers or creators or was this just something you kind of had the idea of and just went off and started doing? Sure, sure. I was inspired by other creators, but not. I, th- I don't think at that time. I just thought, you know, I might upload it, and then once I got into the YouTube space a bit more, I, I def, I like, um, 
you, you get some, you get like, oh, this is cool. That, that is cool. But I just, I never had the intention of becoming known for this. So I just kind of thought it would, it would help someone else and myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, kind of just having it as a side project and then, you know, you were doing it along with your PhD and then things kind of just progressed as they did. Yeah, so I'm curious, um, especially in, in recent years, you have been fairly prolific uh, and you were famous for being able to output videos pretty quickly after certain papers come out. Um, I think you have like a nickname of Lightspeed or something. So uh, what is the process for, for being able to sort of, you know, produce a video that actually is helpful and, and making sure that you know what to explain, how to explain it? Yeah. How does a typical video get made? So for being fast, I think you need, you, you just need the, the flexibility and time. And I realize not everyone has it. And right now I have it less than before. So, uh, really it was, it was during the PhD and, and we were fairly free to do whatever, however we want to structure our day. So, you know, if, if a paper came out, I was able to read it right away, uh, because, you know, I was, I was able to divide my time like this. And then the process is simply read it until you understand it, then explain it. Like it's, it's, and, and other, other people have asked me this also with the intention of, of making videos like this. And I always say like, do not care about quality in first instance, because people think it has to be perfect or, or, or even, or even good. And, uh, you know, if just explain what you understand, if you've understood the paper, explaining it should be sort of a, a natural consequence of that. And if not, then you can get better at it, you know, and don't be afraid if, if people want to do this, don't be afraid to just put it out there. Like it's free content. Like the, the people can't complain about free content. I guess they can complain, but you know, <laughs> uh, they can complain about pretty much anything, but it is the internet. Yes. So, so but you know, you know, um, it's, it's, yeah. So I, I would say, I would say, just the, the act of not being afraid to upload and put, put your opinion out there. I think that's the, the main thing. So the, the process is pretty much, as I said, read until you understand that's important. Um, and then just try to explain it to someone like try to explain it to yourself before you had read the paper. You know, that's sort of the level you should target. Yeah, makes sense. So basically don't overthink it you know, just understand the paper and then try to explain it. And, you know, you'll get better over time, obviously, in terms of the flow and whatever. Yes. So, yeah, I was wondering, now you've done this for a few years, uh, looking back, uh, you've now covered, you know, many papers. Um, so I'm curious, uh, aside from your research, how this has sort of enriched your experience. Like, have you been picking some papers that you're particularly curious about? Are there any like favorites where you really started to understand a topic much more deeply than if you had not done the explanation? Sure. I think pretty much any, any paper enriched my understanding. Definitely. Um, and what you said, the, 
I'm curious about something. That is that is the single that is the only criterion. Like I I I don't of course I'm gonna notice paper more if they're from someone famous or anything like this. I'm not immune to any of those effects, but the 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 single criterion for me has always been what am I interested in? And by I think by reading these papers sort of thoroughly, um it has definitely enriched my experience uh, to the point where when conferences were still a thing, um, it was, it was cool to be able to walk through the poster session and sort of understand or, or have access to pretty much all of the room, right? It's not only your corner or few adjacent corners, but you know, you can walk up to a poster and, with there's a relatively small gap from what 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 I know to you know the the content of the poster and I feel that's in large part due to the fact that I I sort of just do these explanations and I'm almost forced to thoroughly understand the paper and yeah so that gives me these kind of little outreaches into all the different fields or or a lot of the different fields in machine learning yeah, that's an interesting point because, you know, as a computer vision researcher, typically you might not really read NLP or reinforcement learning. So I can imagine, you know, if you're just opening a paper, like you can read a paper, but you lack all the background and so on, right? So it would be very hard to understand. So uh, it does sound pretty cool where you have a lot of a background in a bunch of different areas and not just your specialty. It is though, I have to say it is the completely wrong approach. If you actually want to be a successful academic, like, if, <laughs> like for, I'm not, I'm not a successful academic in part for this reason that I I'm, I'm, I'm also interested and curious about many of the different subfields of the, of the field. Whereas I feel successful academics are, they're kind of the opposite. They're, they're more narrowly interested, but in their particular field, they're like, they have the complete understanding of what's going on. Right. And, and, and that is, I, I admire people who can, who can do this, have this focus. And yeah, I think, I think that is the, definitely the better way in academia. So just, you know, don't take this as advice. It's just what I, what I do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's certainly different styles of research and, and some go across different disciplines and some really dig deep. So benefit to your research aside, still, it's it's very cool to have this window over all of a field as opposed to any specific sub portion. Mm -hmm. um, and I think many people, you know, in computer vision, RL, eventually got around to be like, what is a transformer? And then <laughs> it was this whole process of... Uh, basically peering into NLP, which was interesting. One other thing I'm curious about is, um, in addition to the YouTube channel, you've also set up a Discord at some mm -hmm. point uh, when it happened. And uh, it seems to be pretty lively. I, I took a look and, you know, it seems like there's a lot of activity. So I'm curious um, how uh, you found that to be, what was the experience of that? Uh, like, is there now a community which you sort of find yourself to be a part of as a result of having these videos? Yes. Ex yeah. I think that is, that is exactly the result. And, and the formulation you, you, you say is actually uh, pretty accurate. It is a community that I am a part of. I don't feel like the, 
the Discord server it bears my name, but um, I'm I'm not the I'm not a big driving force in there. It's it's there are of course you know I don't know how many members we have. I think it's some some four digit number. Of course, a much smaller portion of that are actually active, and then even a much smaller portion are sort of frequently active. But I I feel it's a it's a it's a cool community of of people who um who are very competent honest like and whenever someone comes maybe a new newcomer posts in the help channel i'm amazed by you know how uh, forthcoming people are in 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 trying to help people um we we organize paper discussions uh, which are just happening in voice chat. So and we, we host these uh, like once a week or once every two weeks. And it's, it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, because I get also to hear what other people think. And that is, is super, super cool. Um, and people with different expertises come in and, and they just give their perspective like people who know a lot about theory, people who know a lot about hardware, like I have no clue of hardware. Right. And then it's just so interesting. Someone coming in and say, and, and like explaining, okay, here is why this is crap because of it doesn't run on this and this hardware well, or, or something like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed by this. Um, I, I didn't really have a reason for opening a Discord server, but in hindsight, this is one of the uh, coolest things that has come out of this. Yeah, for sure. It's it's it seems very exciting as a creator to, you know, you you would have hoped, I presume, to be able to teach some people or help some people understand papers, but then when you have this other outcome that probably you didn't expect um you know that that's even more exciting and uh, from the sound of it 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 sounds like a great community um something else uh, also related to being a creator um so aside from paper explanations you've you've done kind of a, a variety of other things you had some videos of like you going into conferences recently you had this very fun video of singing a song about ImageNet categories with uh, ImageNet, you know, uh, visualization. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm curious kind of what, what you would describe YouTube as a creative outlet. Um, would you want to do more of these kind of, uh, more one-off or, or different uh, types of videos that aren't necessary paper explanations. Uh, yeah, what do you get from it aside from you know being an educator? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, uh, even in the so even in the in the one-off videos, I try to pack some educational con- like I, I grab I like I grab you with the clickbait, and then when you least expect it, like I educate you. <laughs> um, but surprise education. But uh, yeah, I I I. I definitely look forward to be able to making more of these sort of also different videos. Um, they, of course they're going to revolve around machine learning AI in some form, one form or another. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think I have a bunch of ideas of things to do and maybe people want to watch it. If they don't, that's fine. They can just wait for the next, 
uh, paper review or, or whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think the uh, AI research community very much liked the music video. So, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit, you could say it's a little bit pandering to, to that particular uh, community, but they did love it. Um, and then, yeah, aside from YouTube, of course, you have a lot of other things going on. And I saw um, that after your PhD, you went to this company, Deep Judge, uh, which is applying AI to, I think, legal document understanding. Um, yeah, I'm curious, like, out of the various options you had, how did you make a decision on where to go? And then I suppose why industry was academia and, and why this company? So, I really had no chance in academia. Like I'm, as I said, I'm not a, a stellar academic. I got my, you know, my publications through for, for, you know, getting like legitimizing, giving me a PhD. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, a, am not, I'm not good at the academic game. So continuing in academia was not my interest, but also was not like an option just given my qualifications, um, out of the PhD. So I, I was me and, and three other PhD students of the lab I was in, um, you know, we always need these kind of extra credits. So the PhD requires you to get like 12 credits for, for compared, like a, a bachelor's is 180 credits. So 12 credits is not a lot. So you, you just, it's, it's this nuisance. You have to get like 12 credits from somewhere. So we all did this class on how to build a robot judge. Uh, that was, it was called how to build a robot judge. And it was about legal tech. And we, um, did a class project there, uh, together and ended up performing fairly well and thought, Hey, um, you know, this might be a good, good market. So we, of course, it's a hot topic right now. So there, there's a lot of people trying to uh, get into this. Uh, we thought given our qualifications, we were also, so we were PhDs, but also in industry, partly for periods. So we thought we, you know, given our qualifications, we would be a good fit for this. So we founded a company and now are, you know, trying to sell our stuff. So that's, nice. that's how that came to be. It's, it's fairly standard. Yeah. There's, there's no bigger reason. You just stumbled into or, or got into a promising area and then figured, you know, this is worth uh, working on. Yes. Which is, which is pretty nice. I'm now in my last year of PhD and, and starting to ponder my future and also thinking that academia is not the path mm -hmm. then. There's, there's a lot of directions you can go. So yeah, there's almost too many, right? Like yeah. you, you'll never have the, you'll never have the, the problem of, ah, uh, can I get a job? It's, it's like the, the problem it's is more like the problem is still there. It's, the problem is mildly better. Like it's, it's better to have too many options than too little, but it's also a problem. I agree. And, you know, on one hand, the opportunity cost, I think for, machine learning PhDs is just enormous because there's these big companies and they'll give you like loads and loads of cash if you join them. Right. Um, but you know, I don't know. 
I'll, I'll, I'll try. Maybe I'll end up miserably miserable and, and <laughs> <laughs> wish I joined Google, but you know, for now. I'll yeah. Do yeah. I don't know. It's, it's always an interesting question. I think I also had this question before starting a PhD of do I go into industry or do I do a PhD? And there was also the opportunity cost of industry could pay a lot, but you know, I figured PhD, you know, I could do it and then go to industry. So you can always fail and then, you know, uh, go and make some money afterwards. Um, yeah, so that's very cool. I think uh, you're only a few months or something into this process. So I imagine it's, you know, you're, you're figuring things out and it's, it's pretty uh, exciting. I suppose, yeah, aside from work, aside from YouTube, uh, another interesting bit that I try to get into with people is just sort of what other things uh, enrich your life. So, you know, what, what sorts of fitness are you into? What is like a major hobby or skill that you try to keep up with, um, you know, to, to have a good life aside from whatever you do for work? Too many. So I'm a... Um... I think not my, my skill. I think my hobby is starting new hobbies. So, uh, <laughs> but a, f a few, a few have stuck around. Um, so on the side, I'm a, I'm actually a fitness instructor, uh, just a few hours a week. And yeah, that keeps me sort of on my toes and not slacking in that area. Uh, I try, I, I play various instruments, um, try to be a street musician every now and then, which is really scary, but I think that's, that's the part I like about it, that, that it's scary. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I just try to learn new things, try to learn languages and, 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 and skills and, and stuff. I see. What are some of your most recent hobbies that you've, you know, been picking up? Um, Any interesting ones? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to learn Mandarin. Um, okay, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Also, DevOps. I don't know if that is as a hobby, but um, <laughs> out, out, a of, skill. out of necessity yeah. for for being part of a startup. But I've 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 gone into that whole world. It's pretty interesting, but you can definitely get mm -hmm. lost. I feel. I see. Yeah, that's cool. I think I I just started sparring and boxing and. Uh, Cool. You know, starting something that you're not at all good at or, or don't know at all, it's it's always kind of refreshing in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I was I was I, I actually I started boxing last year, um, so I'm I'm still doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. The the uh, first of all, the feeling of getting hit in the face. I don't think I've had that since. I don't know, childhood or so. Uh, it's 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 just so new, right? Because you know, boxing. You you think you know? You get hit yeah, you, you know, you maybe do it on the punching bag or so. But then the first time you get actually hit in the face, it's like, what? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I think it's interesting. And Personally, I find I, I value being a little more eclectic, you know, not being all about research or, mm -hmm. or the, the work part, the professional part, and, and try to invest a decent amount of time into these side things to be kind of more well-rounded. 
And maybe as a last thing, uh, I imagine a lot of your fans, people who follow you on YouTube are excited about AI research and uh, interested in possibly getting into it. So now that you finish your PhD, what would be your advice for people who are thinking about doing a PhD and um, yeah, kind of um, how would you go about doing it and what are the main lessons you had uh, with respect to how to do a good PhD and do AI research? Yeah, well, getting into a PhD is different nowadays, I feel, in the, into a machine learning PhD, right? It, like, so I, I, I was lucky in a sense that um, the lab I joined was sort of new and, and, and growing, therefore had a need for people, uh, which yeah, I, I was, I was, I guess, at a good place at a good time. But I felt just from other labs that there was definitely opportunity for me to join other labs as well, just because I've also asked around there. Uh, so that is different today because I had, as I said, I didn't even know research existed before I, I joined the master's program, really. Um, I, I certainly had no clue what a publication was like even like it took me about two years in, into the PhD to figure out, you know, wait, okay, I have to publish papers. I kind of knew this, but the, to yeah. actually, to actually get it like, and, and okay, what, what, what is a paper? What needs to be in there? How do you select the top? All of this, right. It, it took me like a long time. And when I see today, what, what, what just applicants for ML PhDs are like, this is crazy. They have, you know, at least one publication somewhere and, and then often at a, like a conference publication, not just some workshop somewhere like, in, and then they have, they have research internships already, you know, after like how, how, how? I, I don't. They've already started their PhD basically. Right. They're, they're, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. They're, they're essentially part of the research community. They have a plan. They, they, they already have a project in mind or something like this. They, they, the first day they start, they know what to do. Like they, they sit down and they know what to do. They, they, they like, okay, I want to, you know, ask this question, answer this question. This is, this has changed so much. And, and, uh, I'm not saying I, I like it or I advocate for it, but the landscape today is very competitive. Um, it's, uh, yeah, just the, because I had to evaluate these applicants over the years, you know, people joined our lab and I was asked to interview a, a lot of them. Um, and over, it just, it just got more and more and more over the years that the profiles of people who applied just got better. Like, I don't know if, whether people in general, uh, put more effort in or, or whether different people apply now. Uh, but you know, joining a PhD has become harder I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, uh, but that's just uh, the landscape. Just getting in is is hard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, it's at the top program like Stanford. It's a lot easier if you do research in your undergrad or master's mm -hmm. to to have some of these publications and, and then try to apply. So that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, but once you're in, <laughs> um, maybe a good advice is what what I said before in, in that. Uh, kind of be, try to be smart about selecting your, your topic. Another, this is another difference from when I started. So when I started another student 
uh, started with me and he actually held state of the art on like language modeling at some point. I think it was character level language modeling, but you know, state of the art in language modeling by a PhD student with two GPUs, right? Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is, um, and these were our only GPUs at that point in time. So, <laughs> so it, this is on like, I think pe today's people have to be smarter about selecting their topic because it, there are just areas of research that are kind of off limits uh, without the resources of a, of a big research lab. Or maybe you're at a particularly good university that has some connections and so on. Um, uh, coincidentally, our university, I think, is, is, is pretty well equipped with compute. But still, I feel as a PhD student, you have to select your topic more smartly. You have to maybe not go into state of the art, you know, deep learning training, but maybe you want to more go into uh, analyze some aspect of the models that are out there. I try to make the, the pre-trained models do something smart, or you can maybe work more theoretical. Um, there are a lot of things you can do. But there are also things that are going to be very hard. Uh, but those are the things that are kind of hyped. And I think today's people need to be a little bit careful about not falling into, into the hype. Being like, what do you like? Well, I like GPT-3. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do, do that, right? Uh, no, right? Un unless you have some grant or so, but yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be competing with DeepMind and Facebook and Google on these like big, big name topics, problems. Exactly. You can for yeah. sure compete with them when it comes to many other things, right? There, there's nothing, you, you know, they're good. There are, you know, excellent people at all of these research labs, but it, you can, you can, you can quote unquote compete with them in many domains, but not the ones that are just resource-based, pure, pure number crunching seems to be now in the domain of, of academia, uh, sorry, of, of not academia, of research. Yeah. In, in and partially of academia as well, but not yeah. to that extent. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think a, a good, a good thing, but that has, I think always been true is to, um, maybe pursue internships, um, during the PhD. I, most people that I've known have done something like this. So I, I don't think that's controversial advice. Uh, it, it just sort of gives you a, an outside perspective, it be that in a research lab, I think a lot of people do it in, in some research lab and it just sort of gives you a different view on, on what's out there. Um, so you'll, if you do it in a research lab, you'll get into contact with non-researchers, you know, people who have gone the sort of software engineering way and then sort of joined the research team from that side. And, and that's just an entirely different experience, uh, and which I think is, is very valuable and probably recommended to a lot of machine learners. Um, cause you would think that graduating with a degree from computer science would enable you to understand something about computers or programming or so, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> the PhD is mostly about learning to do research, which yeah. is, uh, 
not the same as applying, you know, the ideas they're in. Okay, yeah. So that's, I think, a really interesting and, and probably valuable bit of information for your fans. And then um, I don't know if there's anything you want to plug, maybe just mention to the listeners uh, where you can find your YouTube channel or anything else. Um, well, how do, how do best find my YouTube channel? If, if you type attention is all you need into YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this has been, uh, for some reason, this has been kind of the, the, the first, um, not, not viral, but, but well, well received video. And, uh, so at that point I was working, I think I had a, like a tablet, I had like an, an old surface tablet, but I was using Adobe acrobat i think with the sort of annotation tool which is kind of clunky and I, I i don't know i reviewed the paper like any other paper I, I didn't necessarily think it was anything special but then all of a sudden it was like hey a lot of people are watching this and i think still today a lot of people are going to that video to um learn about attention mechanisms and, and so on. And, you know, it helped that transformers became sort of the, the, the big, the big, you know, blockbuster model of the last few years. Um, but yeah, that's, that seemed to be, I don't know. I think YouTube is, YouTube is this, it, it's, it's, I've said something before that I, it's, it's a grind. Um, mm -hmm. so you, you, you never know which videos are going to be received. Well, this is super astounding to me, uh, because mm -hmm. I can, sometimes I have an idea which videos are like, I, I think, okay, this one, uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to get a lot of views, but most of the time I have no clue. Like there are videos that I think, wow, this is, you know, this is a cool paper. This is an interesting, like I did it so well. I explained it, uh, you know, this, but then it's no one cares and others. <laughs> so it's, it's really astounding. So if, if anyone is thinking about doing YouTube or anything or blogging or, 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 or having a, you know, one of these Twitter accounts that, that gives advice on it, anything like this, just, this is what, what you're in for. It's, it's putting a lot of content out with everyone being sort of like a lottery ticket. Um, but you never, you, you almost can't tell which ones are, are the good yeah, ones. It's up to the AI. It's up to the holy algorithm. Um, yeah. you have to sacrifice yeah. a, a goat every now and then to the algorithm. But, um, yeah, no, it's up to the viewers. Right. And, uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're very unpredictable. I have, I have to say, which is, which keeps it fun. Yeah. So like I did this cooking video where, where we let GPT three, you know, decide on a recipe. And I thought like that, that's this video is, this is great. This is like, it's fun. And, and it's, it's like edited, like not like my other videos, it's actually edited and has animations and all. And it was just like, people were like, ha ha. Okay. But not really watching it. Um, yeah. And, and then other videos where you just think like, what? And everyone's watching it. So yeah, 
Yeah, just just make kind of what you want, and then some things will go big. Exactly. Yes. But you never really know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, there you go. If you haven't checked out uh, Yannick's YouTube channel, you can search "attention is all you need," or you can you can also Google his name, and and that'll work. Uh, so with that, we're gonna wrap up. Thank you so much, Yannick, for joining us for this episode. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, let's just do a quick outro as usual. Once again, this is The Gradient Podcast. Check out our publication at thegradient.pub and our newsletter at gradientpub.substack.com. If you are a fan of our work, please support us by sharing The Gradient with your friends, subscribing to our newsletter and podcast, and rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple and elsewhere. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in to our future episodes.